0: The scripture reading for today comes from Judges chapter 16, verses 1 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him, and see what Where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man." So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called the man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out go out. Go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with the bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice, and they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, they may entertain, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young men who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, all the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel twenty years. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. <clears throat> uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, um just a couple of quick announcements one is uh we continue to meet for a bible study uh in the morning at 9 45 in the uh, children's room so again i want to invite you to uh, join us for that uh study and also as i mentioned last time uh we have the giving garden set up Uh, if you see back there it's on the back wall um there will be a set of instructions on what to do um so you can take one of the uh felt envelopes you can take it gently off the wall uh pick your favorite number and you can put that amount of dollars into the envelope and you can either put it in the basket that's uh under the garden or you could bring it back next week and put it in the uh, offering basket Uh, but we do ask that you return the uh, the envelopes Uh, we want to keep them so that they can be reused and if you open the envelope, you'll see a, a piece of paper with the prayer requests uh, for both our Kenya and West Virginia mission team. So please uh, post that in your house somewhere and, and continue to remember them uh, in your prayer. So um, I know some people have already told me that there are certain envelopes that they want to get because uh, they're all different. They have different buttons, different colors. And so uh, please don't trample each other trying to... Grab your favorite uh, after service today, all right? All right, Um, let's pray together. God, we thank you again uh, for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word, uh, which we just heard. And now, God, um, help us to um, understand your word in such a way uh, that we may know your word for us this day. And in the hearing of your word, uh, help us to obey. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So this now is the seventh sermon in the series of sermons I've been preaching uh, through the book of Judges. As I mentioned last time, Samson is the last of the six major judges, the last of the 12 judges, and the best known of all the judges in the book. And I'm sure all of you um, have probably at some point heard the story of Samson and Delilah, and you have uh, certain ideas about Uh, how this story uh, plays out. Uh, In our reading today, you heard that Delilah is approached by the Philistine lords, and they want her to discover the secret of his strength so that he can be defeated. He's been a thorn in the side of the Philistines for a long time. It's a replay, uh, as you heard, of the, the riddle game that Samson played with his guests at his wedding a few chapters earlier. But Delilah is not threatened as Samson's bride was. And instead, she's offered this enormous sum of money for her part in this uh, act. Um, If you think about the amount that she was offered uh, in comparison, for example, Abraham paid 400 pieces of silver for the family plot of land for a burial ground. And uh, King David uh, was paid, he paid 50 uh, pieces of silver uh, for the threshing floor upon which he built. So, I mean, you think about someone as wealthy as Abraham paid 400 for, you know, for a whole plot of land. And here is these Philistine lords, probably five of them, each offering her 1,100 pieces of silver. I mean, this is a life-changing, enormous, can't refuse kind of offer. um, And so she's highly motivated. uh, She's persistent. And so she just keeps at it with Samson uh, to get the information. And in the beginning, it looks like Samson is just kind of playing with her, feeding her false information. But the fourth time, the fourth time's a charm when he finally reveals his secret. Delilah happens to be the fourth woman in Samson's life. But she's the only one whose name that we know. The other women in Samson's life, we, we don't know who they are, their names. Uh, but there is no agreement, interestingly enough, on the meaning of the name Delilah. Uh, I mentioned last time Samson's name uh, has to do with the sun, something like uh, Sunshine, Mr. Sunshine, perhaps. Um, but we don't know her name. And In fact, it's really interesting to me because uh, the scholars are like, they're all over the place. It's almost like they're just guessing. Like there's no uh, common thread connecting even their guesses. It's really, uh, it's a little frightening, like no one has any idea. Um, But what we do know is that her name sounds like the Hebrew word for night. So I think this is likely a pun and a kind of a literary or poetic justice that the brightness of Samson, Mr. Sunshine, the one whom the Philistines had described as having dried up or scorched, burned their land, who literally set their fields of grain on fire, is finally defeated by someone whose name is associated with the darkness of night. When Delilah cuts his hair, to Samson's surprise, he's weakened, he's captured, he's made blind, humiliated, forced to grind uh, grain, and finally brought out for public ridicule to entertain the guests of the Philistines in the house of Dagon, their god of grain. As a prisoner of war, or as a terrorist in the eyes of the Philistines, Samson, in this blind and powerless state, calls upon God and brings... Total destruction upon the Philistine lords, their God, and thousands of people, and so fulfills the earlier angelic promise that he would begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Uh, I want to reflect with you this morning on the meaning of Samson's life um, by considering his last prayer words. So, the first thing you notice in his prayer is he said, God, remember me and strengthen me only this once. Samson pleads with God to remember him, failing to realize that God has always remembered him. God has been present in his life, even before he was born in the birth announcement. God's spirit rushed upon him to protect him from a lion. God's spirit strengthened him to defeat the Philistines. He forgot how God rescued him from dying of thirst in the desert. God was always remembering Samson and was being with him. The problem isn't that God didn't remember, it's that Samson didn't remember. He didn't remember when he went down to Timnah. He didn't remember God when he went down to Gaza, when he ate honey from the carcass, when he went berserk to pay off a gambling debt. It was his forgetfulness, not God's. He failed to remember God's word for him, and so he did not use his strength and the opportunities to defeat the Philistines when he had the chance. He could have rallied, for example, the 3,000 Judeans after he killed the 1,000 Philistines on his own. Or, as you heard this morning, he could have called upon Israel to attack the capital city of Gaza because he just destroyed their gates and the people were vulnerable and open and scared. But only now, in this beaten state, he asks God for strength once more, realizing finally that it is God who gives him his strength. Um, If you're like most people, you've probably imagined Samson as a super muscular Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of guy. But I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. Because if Samson were the most muscular guy in the room, no one would be questioning about the secret of his strength. If Samson were the most physically imposing man in the room, the Philistine lords would not be offering this incredible sum of money to discover the secret. There would be no secret. Why is he so strong? Well, look at him. Right? Suppose you're at the gym and you see Dwayne the Rock Johnson easily bench pressing 300 pounds. You might be impressed, but you're not going to wonder what's the secret? How does he do that? You know the secret. It's obvious. The guy has big muscles. That's it. That's it. If it were just a matter of being stronger than everybody else, Samson would not come to this realization that it was God who gave him the strength. Right? But suppose you saw me at the gym and you saw me bench pressing 300 pounds. Heck, even half of that. You definitely wonder, what's the secret? What drugs is he taking? Where can I get some? Right? Because you know there's got to be a secret because that's not normal. And so Samson finally realizes that God is the one who had empowered him in the past. He knows now that it wasn't him, that it wasn't some magical power in his hair as the Philistines seem to believe. At this point in his life, Samson had repeatedly broken the other parts of his vow. And so I think for him, just cutting the hair, it's, it's just one more break in the vow. It's nothing more than a kind of a, you know, a superstition with the hair, a lucky charm. In fact, right before um, his dealings with Delilah, you know, he went and uh, lifted these, these enormous city gates and their posts and, and he just carried them like they were nothing. And we're not told there that there was any part that God played in that. The spirit did not rush upon him as it did in, uh, as he did in some other parts of, this, of his story. He has no awareness that somehow God commanded him to do this or that God wanted him to do this or that you know God was with him in any way. And so Samson has this false confidence that's, that it's been him. That his power is his to command at will. But the narrator tells us the truth in verse 20. He did not know that the Lord had left him. It had been God who had been with him the whole time to give him his strength. And so, you know, I think here, at Samson's prayer for remembrance, for strength, it's a sign of faith, and it points to hope. He asked God only this once because he knows he doesn't deserve it, and he leans now upon God's mercy. And isn't that a prayer that we've all prayed at some point? God, just help me out this, just this once, and I'll be good from now on. God, just this once, forgive me for this persistent sin, and I won't do it anymore. Just this once. At least he's praying. And I love verse twenty-two. It says that after he's been captured, the hair of his head began to grow again. He's completely defeated but the hair of his head began to grow again. You know, again, it's not that there's some magical power uh, in the hair, but it's a sign. It's a sign, right? Um, It reminds me of uh, cancer patients, for example. uh, You know, when they go through these uh, grueling chemotherapies, uh, often their hair falls out as a result. And uh, if they're fortunate and they are able to overcome their cancer or uh, the cancer goes into remission, a sign of the returning health is their, their hair starts to grow back, right? It's a sign of hope. It's a sign of hope. That's what it is for Samson as well. But the phrasing is a little ominous. It says that the hair began to grow back. That word began. It's the word that was used when the angel first said that Samson would begin to deliver Israel. So it's a sign of hope, but it tells me that it's not entirely hopeful, that it's only a beginning. And the next part of his prayer shows us why. So Samson wants strength, he wants God to remember him, but his reason for that is all wrong. He says, so that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. It's also possible to translate this as so that I may be avenged at least for one of my two eyes, which seems to me more in keeping with Samson's character. He wants to have more and more vengeance, and that this act of vengeance will at least, it won't make up for what, the wrong that he feels he's received, but at least it's going to make a start to the vengeance that he wants. This prayer reveals that Samson is still, even in this position, even though he's praying, he's still self centered and self serving. Remember me. Strengthen me that I may be avenged for my eyes. This is not a model of prayer, this is not a conversation of a humble servant seeking God's will. He's not thinking about God's glory. He's not trying to fulfill his duty as a judge in delivering Israel. He's not repenting for getting himself into this situation. He's not sorry for the wife and the family who were burned because of him. He shows no remorse for the people he's hurt and the parents he's dishonored and shamed. He only wants to unleash vengeance for the wrong that he feels that he has received. I saw in the news uh, yesterday that um, OJ Simpson is now on Twitter. Yahoo News. Um, and in his first post, he said this. Part of, this is what he said. He said, quote, he's got a little getting even to do. His first post, and he wants to get even. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not going to work out well. This is not going to end well. He wants payback. That's Samson's attitude. His life has been entirely been motivated by payback. He saw and he did what was right in his own eyes. But now, living even in darkness, he is still seeking vengeance because of his eyes. His eyes led him to this place because he pursued whatever he saw fit. But it's not just his eyes that let him, you know, I think a lot of times people uh, read the story of Samson as somebody who was led to ruin because of his uncontrolled uh, lust and his sexual appetite. But that's not really true. The, The much bigger problem in his life is his lust for vengeance. That's why he ends up where he ends up. Remember, the Philistines used his wife to get the answer to his riddle at his wedding And he responded by killing 30 men in anger. His father-in-law then gave his daughter to another man. And Samson responds by destroying the local economy with fire. And he argued wrongly. This time I have a right to get even. The Philistines then respond by murdering his wife. And then he responds back. He escalates the violence by slaughtering many Philistines. Then when the Judeans see that this is really bad news, they turn him over to the Philistines and then he continues by slaughtering 1,000 Philistines, right? So he began by killing 30, then 1,000, and now 3,000. In the final chapter of his life, he wants vengeance one more time. That's the legacy of his life. That's all he wants. He has no consideration for God or for others. A word that he needed to remember is that God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay Or as the Apostle Peter admonishes us, do not repay evil for evil, but bless instead. So he wants strength to get vengeance. And then his very last words are, let me die, let me die with the Philistines. So we've come full circle in the book of Samson, in the book of Judges. We began uh, with the ideal judge, Othniel, who was a foreigner but who made his home among the Israelites. And now we have an Israelite who has made his life with the Philistines. In the story of Deborah, you remember, Jael drove a peg through Sisera's head to deliver Israel. Now we have Delilah driving a peg or a pin through Samson's hair to deliver the Philistines. The word uh, in, in the Bible about making tight with a pin, it's the same noun and verb that was used for driving the peg in the story of Jael and Sisera. It's a world turned upside down. It's the reversal of an Israelite woman defending her nation from a foreign invader. And now we have Delilah just completely flipping the script. The nation has completely spiraled down because God is not king and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Samson tried to live his entire life with the Philistines, pursued their women with reckless abandon, with total disregard for danger and political implications, and now he asks God, let me die with them. He's resigned himself to the fact that his life is over because he can't see, and all that he cares now is to leave behind one last act of vengeance. He does not even consider the fact or the idea That perhaps there is more that God wants of his life. That God could still rescue him from this situation. That this is not God's will for his life. How far can you fall before God will say, that's it. I'm not going to rescue anymore. It's finished. Was God finished with Samson? I don't think so. The psalmist asked rhetorically, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free from your presence? Is there any place where I can go where God cannot reach me? Can I go to the heavens? No, God's there. Can I go into Sheol, to the place of the dead? No, God's there too. How about the furthest point in the seas? Or even in the darkness. No, even there in your greatest desolations, God is still there. There is no place where you can go. There is no place to where you can fall where God cannot reach you. Never despair of yourself or of God's help. I don't care how bad you think you've messed up. I don't care if, you know, maybe you've stolen money from your family. Maybe you cheated on your spouse. Maybe you, you were, took part in killing someone. And you think you know I can never recover from this? It's not true. You are not a lost cause. You are never a lost cause.
0: Right.
1: Suppose I have a hundred dollar bill, and I, and I and I you've heard me say this before. I think you know. Uh, if you take a hundred dollar bill, and you crumple it. You spit on it. You step on it. You throw it in the mud. You rip it in half. Would you throw that away? unless you're really rich. No, you, it's, it's still worth $100. Just clean it up, put some tape on it. It doesn't lose its value because it's messed up. It, it doesn't. It's not worth $10 now somehow because it's dirtier. You know, in a moment, we're going to be baptizing uh, Noah... And his parents and all of us were going to be making a vow before God to raise his child in light of God's word. You know, it's not unlike the vow that Samson's mom had to make with the angel to raise her child. We can't know, we can't guarantee that this child or any child will embrace the vow that is being made on his behalf. We don't know if a child will one day reject the vows that were made. But of course, our hope is always that the child will embrace and live into those vows as they get older, as they see the goodness of God in your life and in the life of the community, and that they will never despair of hope, that they will never think they are too far away. Um, I was reminded of uh, G.K. Chesterton's uh, Father Brown stories um, Father Brown uh, is a, um, he's a priest, but he's also a, a detective. And uh, in one of the stories called Queer Feet, Father Brown says this about, uh, about a criminal that, that's been caught. He says, I caught him with an unseen hook and an invisible line, which is long enough to let him wander to the ends of the world and still to bring him back with a twitch upon the thread a twitch upon the thread. Um, this is Father Brown, you know, realizing that he's been made a fisher of men and so he's, he's thinking about catching fish and like, you know, uh, I don't really know much about fishing, but with a twitch of the thread, you, you can reel him in. So that's how he caught this, this criminal. Um, well, uh, Evelyn Waugh, uh, another novelist, he took that phrase, a twitch upon the thread, uh, in his novel, Brideshed uh, Revisited, and he used, he used that phrase to describe the experience of being brought back to the faith after you've been baptized and after a lifetime of running away, right? One of his characters just, you know, just has run away from God and, and faith. But at the very end, um, he comes back. And, and he uses this phrase to kind of to, to, uh, to illustrate that, that it was upon this sort of a twitch upon the thread, and he was brought back. Um, maybe the idea of you know being caught like a fish in a in a hook and being pulled in is not, is not a good one for you um, but it 's the promise that god 's threat of redemption is long. It runs from Genesis to revelation. It is long, it is patient, and it can bring you back. It can bring everyone back. God is able to save God is able to save and I want to be absolutely. Absolutely clear on this point: God is the God of life, and God did not want Samson to die in this way to commit suicide, in some sort of heroic or glorious uh, vengeance upon his enemies. This is not the way God wanted it. I know that some people have interpreted this story as God answering Samson 's prayer because he praised God, "Give me strength, let me get vengeance." And then it seems like he got vengeance because the the whole uh, house came tumbling down. It's true that he did accomplish the defeat of the Philistines. But notice here in the Bible, it never says that God answered this prayer. Earlier when he had prayed for water so that he wouldn't die of thirst, God answered that prayer. God wanted him to live. We're told that God answered that prayer. But here, God is absolutely silent just as the Philistines wrongly interpreted their victory over Samson as their God answering him, which is not true. So I think it's the same mistake that we can make here if we assume that this devastation was a result of an answer to his prayer. I don't think God is honoring this prayer. People regularly pray for their basketball team to win, and they think that God answered their prayers if they win, Especially if they place the large bet. Right? Every selfish blessing you pray for and it gets answered doesn't mean God's answering it. Just because it seems that way and you think, hey, this is how it works. I get what I want. No, that's not true. This is not God's desire for Samson's life. God did deliver his people. Yes, it's true. But this is not the way God wanted to do it. It just shows that God is able to use Samson as an agent of his justice against the Philistines despite Samson's rebellion and disobedience. It shows that God is in control without condoning his actions. Let me close with this. Um, A while ago, a team of psychiatrists from UC San Diego published an article in the Archives of General Psychiatry in which they concluded that Samson was a bully, a liar, a nonconformist, who was impulsive, reckless, cruel to animals, and exhibited all the symptoms of the mental disorder antisocial personality disorder. Uh, I don't think that's really too far off the mark. Then there is this uh, opinion by Cheryl Exum. Uh, She's a scholar who's probably studied this story more than anybody else. And, uh, And she, for many, many years argue that Samson is a comic hero. She says it's a comedy and not a tragedy uh, because the story ends upbeat, it delights in wordplay, and the character never goes any real development. But one day, she just completely changed her mind. And it was because of a painting that she saw, a painting called Blinded Samson by Lovis Corinth in 1912, who painted Uh, blinded Samson uh, after he suffered a stroke from which he never recovered. And she says this, I shall not be able to read the story of Samson ever again without calling to mind Corinth's haunting image of anguish and brokenness. Even if the story is not tragic, the hero is. I don't know what you think about Samson but I know that my opinion of Samson has, has evolved over the years. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, you know, he was like this, this great hero and like, you know, he saved people and stuff. Um, and I think as I've gotten older, I've grown more sympathetic to him um, and to his struggles in keeping his vow. Because trying to keep our vows to God, I mean, that's something that we all struggle with. That's something we can understand. You know, I used to think that Samson was more or less an idiot, uh, you know, for telling Delilah his secret, right? Like, how can you be so dumb to do that? But I don't think that's true. I I don't think he revealed a secret because he was stupid or because, you know, Delilah just, just wore him down and he just couldn't take it anymore. I don't think he did it because he wanted to live dangerously and, you know, he liked the thrill of the excitement. And I don't think he did it even because he was in love with Delilah, even though men do a lot of stupid things when they're in love. Samson knows what's going to happen when he gets his hair cut. Right, Three times he told her what to do and she did exactly what he said. So he knows when he tells her, he's not thinking, oh, this time she's not going to cut my hair. Like he knows that's what's going to happen. But he's willing to, to do it, he's willing to undergo what's been described as the ritual destruction of his identity because it's like he's making a public denunciation of his faith. Because he doesn't really believe that his faith matters. He doesn't believe, really, that his strength is tied up with God and with the vow because he's been breaking the vow all along and nothing else happened. He thinks the power is his. He's lived that way. Uh, Anna uh, Fifield has a new book. She's a journalist about the North Korean leader, uh, Kim Jong-un, called The Great Successor. And in a recent interview, she mentioned that one of the key turning points in Kim Jong-un's life was when he was eight years old. For his eighth birthday party, um, his father, I think, or or people uh, told him that he was going to be the general of the nation. And they, as a birthday present, they got him a a general uniform, you know. And so he he wore that. And of course, real generals, men, came to the birthday party, and they all bowed to him, they saluted him, they, you know, they all, like, praised him. And so, from that moment on, but probably before that, but that, that was a pivotal moment. Like, after that, Like, how do you possibly have a normal life? How can you possibly resist the power and the abuse of power that that is just given to you in that moment? Everyone bows to you because you are destined to rule and rules don't apply to you. You've been set aside for a special purpose. You are different. You are more powerful than anyone else in the room. Not because you're you're strong, but you have this, this gift that's been given to you. Like, how do you how do you get over that? How does Samson get over that? You know, interestingly enough, the closest that Kim Jong Un came to be like everyone else was when he was uh, attending school in Switzerland as a as a young man, and he would go uh, after school to play basketball with some of the other kids, some of the other boys. Uh, hence, Dennis Rodman. Um, But even then, even when he was just trying to play basketball with the guys, you know, all of his handlers would be there, and they'd be clapping just a little bit too loudly every time he touched the ball. You know, like, oh, that's really good. Um, like Like, when you're that special, when you're declared that special, and you have the power to back what you've been told, like, how do you live with that? I think something very similar happened to Samson. He's been dedicated, he's been separated out to God from his very, very beginning. He was told that he was different. He was given this enormous power and he always got away with whatever he wanted to do. No one could oppose him, not his parents, not his community. He regularly broke the rules and there were no repercussions. You know, I, I've, I've never been um, particularly special, so I don't know what that's like. So it's it's hard to relate to this kind of struggle to have this kind of power given to you, um, but I know, as hard as it is, that it can still be handled correctly. Um, you know, when I was a, when I was a teenager, there was a boy in our youth group uh, named David, who was a really good violin player. I mean, he was he was special. Everybody knew he was special. Um, I mean, really, really special. Um, like, I, yeah, just, I can't even describe how good he was because I, I have nothing, like, I so beyond my uh, life experience. Um, he's, he's currently the, uh, the concert master of the uh, Philadelphia Orchestra, in case you're wondering. Um, but nearly every Sunday, you know, the youth group boys, we'd, um, after church, um, we didn't like church so much, but We got to play football after church, so that's why we we like church. So uh, after service, all the guys would go out, and and we played football in the church yard. That was like, didn't matter if it was rainy, if it was snow, that's what we did. Um, And uh, David, who was uh, not there a lot because he was always away um, at concerts and things, but when he was there, he would want to play with us, you know? He was our age, and, you know, all the guys are playing, um, but he couldn't play. He wasn't allowed to play. His dad wouldn't let him play because he was afraid that, you know, in in catching a ball or something, he might, like, hurt his fingers, right? And, like, you can't have that. And you could see, like, he would be standing, you know, by the door and, like, watching us play, and, like, you could tell, like, he wanted to play, but he didn't. He didn't. And it's a good thing that he didn't, you know? Um, It's possible to embrace that difference, the power, the uniqueness. I've seen it. You can do it. Um, it's hard. I mean, It's got to be incredibly hard to be separated, to not be like everybody else because there, there's something about just wanting to fit in and, and be like everybody else. You know, maybe none of us, I don't know. I know some of you are very special, but <laughs> not, not Samson special. Um, we, you know, it, it might be hard for you to think of it this way, but we're all called to this same life. To embrace our call as a distinct people. The Apostle Peter wrote, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We've been separated out. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in freedom and grace. It does not excuse us from following the rules. Grace never excuses us from that. It doesn't mean that, you know, no, I'm saved by grace, so I can do whatever I want. No. It means that you've been empowered for a particular way of living, of loving and serving. It means that that we have to embrace the calling that has been given to us. You cannot be like everybody else around you. We are called to a different way of living, to love our enemies, to forgive one another to extend grace and forgiveness. You know, you and I, we have the same vow to live for God that Samson did. We make the same vow when we say, I will be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life. Okay, it doesn't have the same kind of dietary stuff that, that Samson had, but it's the same vow. We have the same spirit that enabled Samson, this Holy Spirit who lives in us, who permanently indwells in us, And we get to make the same choices that Samson did. If, like Samson, you reject God, you know, God will still bless and God will still redeem the world without you, perhaps even through your disobedience. But you're going to miss out. And those around you will likely suffer. It's never too late to follow God. God has not forgotten you. Wherever you may be, he has not forgotten you. He will strengthen you so that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There is no need for vengeance. There is no need for you to die spiritually. God can revive you. So you can use all the gifts, the enormous gifts that God has given you for the world and not in selfish vengeance as Samson did to give what you've been given back to the world to the people around you to choose not to follow your eyes but to walk in faith to do what is right in God's eyes you can choose this day whom you will serve let's pray together Lord we uh, Thankful for your word and the stories that we have been considering in the book of Judges. And, and help us, God, to appreciate the warning that is before us of people's lives and all of the society just, just spiraling out of control when we pursue what is right in our own eyes uh, without thinking of you. Help us instead, God, to keep our eyes upon you to seek your face to seek your face so that we might not be self-centered but recognize how much you love us and have an outward look and serve others. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Ran away. Here's my twitch of the thread.